This is the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors, fund managers, analysts, and company CEOs to give you an edge when it comes to investing in the commodity space. Hello, everybody. My name is Jesse Day. This is Commodity Culture. Once again, we're continuing with our 2023 Sunset series where we're inviting experts in a variety of commodities onto the program to talk about a year in review for 2023, what surprised them, what went according to plan, and what strategies did they glean from the events that transpired in 2023 that could inform their investment decisions in 2024. And today's guest is the founder of InTheMoneyStocks.com and VerifiedInvesting.com, a veteran trader, somebody I love talking to. It's Gareth Soloway. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. Truly a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, let's begin with a look back on 2023 first. What went according to plan or what what forecast did you make that ended up panning out and what surprised you about 2023? Yeah, I think I think the surprising nature of the year for me was that we saw the strength in yields continue as long as it did. I mean, it's amazing to see the resilience in the economy, uh, whether it's the unemployment rate stay so low or filings for unemployment, you know, stay relatively low as well. But but yeah, I think just the general amount of money that remains in the system that's been able to keep uh, the the economy afloat, that was the most surprising for the year. I, I really thought that by the end of this year, we would be in recession. I still think we'll get there early in 2024, but there was no doubt that that I was anticipating kind of a fourth quarter beginning into the recession, and we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, definitely want to touch on the recession question a little bit later. But first of all, I'm wondering if you could provide us with any takeaways from 2023 that maybe informed or altered your investing or trading strategy? Was there anything that that made you change course? Yeah, I, I think, you know, for me, the big things were just recognizing that, you know, the markets can stay afloat and rally sharply, even if we are still off of the all-time highs. And again, we're coming into another period where it looks very potentially likely we could see a push up to those all-time highs. Um, but again, you know, it, it's looking at some of these large cap techs and the, you know, now it's not the Magnificent Seven, but in fact, like the five, the five stocks of Apple, uh, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and NVIDIA. And you know, to see the the composite compilation of money inside of these names reaching new all-time highs, the percentage of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ new all-time highs for those five stocks in, search, in, in, in regards to being part of those indexes, uh, it, it's remarkable. I mean, it's, it's to be honest, it's a little scary because if anything goes wrong with those companies, it puts the market at a undue risk. Um, and then you look at the commodity area, right, where we've seen relatively a stronger dollar. People were calling for de-dollarization, you know, six, 12 months ago. And in fact, yes, the dollars began to roll over, but it stayed very, very strong, which in my opinion has kept gold from really breaking out of the all-time highs, which I still expect in uh, 2024. Well, let's talk about commodities and their performance in 2023. Um, I, I believe you talked about in the beginning of the year that you thought gold would be a strong performer, and that has certainly played out. Um, what, what commodities surprised you, if at all, whether to the upside or the downside? And how, how do you view the performance of the commodity sector as a whole over the course of the year? 
Yeah, so I I think for the most part, commodities, you know, especially when it comes to gold and silver, they they performed relatively well. Especially gold into the year end here has has been pretty nice, um, but it certainly hasn't broken out. But what I do like about the gold chart, and again, we could just take a look at this, is that you know you're basically creating what I would call an inverse head and shoulder pattern, right? So inverse head and shoulders is a very very bullish pattern, and I can draw it right in here. Um, and whenever this does break to the upside. It should be a tremendous breakout, but we definitely haven't seen it yet. And there you can see it pretty clearly. So shoulder, head and shoulder. And very clear, we have this triple top right at this 2080 level or so. Um, for me, that's going to be one of the key catalysts for 2024. In fact, I expect gold to be uh, a very strong performer. I think this year we saw Bitcoin kind of taking a little bit of market share away. It's kind of more exciting than gold. Uh, it had actually a fantastic year off of the lows. Granted, it was down, you know, 60, 70% going into the year. But nonetheless, it performed very, very well. And now I do think it's that chance for gold to kind of take over as we see the economy slip into recession, but inflation remains relatively elevated. And as we look forward into 2024, what commodities do you expect to perform? Uh, gold, obviously, you're bullish on, you think will be at new all-time highs in 2024. Do you have any thoughts on silver? And are there any commodities that you see actually going down a fair bit from here? I know we've discussed um, oil as well. And, and you had a, a like a around a $50 price target for WTI crude. So maybe you could discuss that as well. Yeah, let's, let's start with silver and take a look at the chart. So silver, again, is kind of been in this sideways consolidation pattern. Um, and I still actually think silver has upside here. It, it's closing in on a breakout. Um, my only kind of hesitation is silver is the industrial side to silver, right? It's a store of safety. People like to hold it in case of Armageddon. But at the same time, it's also used in, you know, batteries and this and that and and, and, and conductor of of. of uh, electricity. So so that's kind of a, a key part where, you know, yes, I think silver performs well, but you also just want to be aware of the global economy in case it continues to weaken here. Um, having said that, you get a break above this $25 level, 25 and a quarter level, and I think you'll head back to 30. Uh, and I do think we'll see 30 in 2024. Uh, with gold, I have that measured move. And I think this is kind of cool, right? So when you have the, the inverse head and shoulders, you can actually do a calculation that gives you the upside target. And what you do is you take the lowest point of the head and shoot a line straight up to that neckline, that top kind of line in the sand there. And that's about a $458 move from this low to the, the, the trend line. And what you do is you take that same dollar amount. And when you break out, you add that to the breakout zone. So you'd be adding about $450 to 2080, which puts you a little bit above $2,500. So assuming this plays out this, this in 2024, we should hit about 2,500 on gold, which would be a fantastic return for gold bugs that have been kind of holding and waiting. And I mean, it, you know, gold is one of those where, you know, it always seems like you're waiting for the big move, right? <laughs> you know, um, now looking at oil, oil's an interesting one. I, I'm in the camp where number one, we have a head and shoulders. So inverse, which is what gold has is bullish. A head and shoulders pattern is bearish. And we could see once it broke down, it's really headed lower here. I actually think that oil based on the US economy slowing substantially as I expect in 2024, oil probably does head lower. Uh, I have a short-term target of around 67 to $68 here, but that would be just in the near term. I actually do think we could get back to, you know, levels maybe in the $50 range um, in 2024. And again, that's that's, you know, one of the things that's very telling on oil is that you've had OPEC cut production, right? 
and oil prices really didn't go up. You had, you know, Hamas attack Israel and the potential for an escalation in the Middle East and oil didn't really go up. And so what it tells you is that oil has this predestination to probably going down more so because traders and investors, number one, they realize the U.S. is pretty independent now in terms of oil. Uh, and number two is the U.S. economy. Smart money does realize that, you know, the U.S. economy is going to slow and that's going to take demand off the table. So so I do think there's further downside on oil here as well. And then in terms of commodities that I think could continue lower in 2024, I think copper. Copper is one of my favorites for downside here. If we take a look at copper, it's actually had a very nice bounce here back up. But the problem is, again, any sort of recession, and we can see it actually broke down below this wedge pattern and it's retracing into that. But this is not a bullish chart on, on copper. And ultimately, I do think copper heads lower. I'd like to get some more insight into your own investment strategy when it comes to commodities. What sort of instruments do you use? I know your time horizon can be different from a lot of people. You're more of a short-term trader for the most part, from what I understand. So maybe you could speak to your time horizon a little bit. And do you try to get in and out of trades based on what you're seeing in the charts? Um, what sort of instruments do you use? As I was saying, do you use ETFs? Do you go with individual equities, futures? And do you take short positions as well when you see weakness up ahead? Yeah, so so I, I do everything in terms of trading. So I'll take short positions when the chart tells me it's going to dip. I'll go long. Um, in general, I kind of divide my my money that I invest in commodities into multiple groups. One is is one is like the long term kind of tuck it away gold, silver, you know, precious metals. Where you know I'll buy some physical, frankly, and and have some physical on hand. That's the type of stuff that I plan on just holding for the rest of my life. I'll pass it on to my kids. It's kind of in, in a way, it's my in, insurance, right? In case the world really does go to crap. Um, I have that physical on hand. It's not in the form of uh, an ETF that is in an investment account that could be locked down. Um, the second part would be the swing trading side, right? So swing trading where I'm involved in the shorter term moves, you know, a couple weeks to a couple months. Um, for instance, right now I am long gold, uh, GLD and so forth. And that's more where if it pops up substantially, like let's say we rally from here straight up to those all-time highs, I'll probably sell it there expecting a pullback and then rebuy on that pullback. So it's kind of you know playing the the littler the smaller moves in in the charts and then the last one is the the metal miners right or miners in general it could be uranium miners it could be metal gold silver miners but those tend to be more you know risky because you know they they obviously have a higher beta they they move much more volatilely but uh, but those can be very good if you can catch the right move in commodities. Um, the miners can really crush it for you. The same thing on the downside, though. They can get hit. And what's interesting about the miners is we've seen them underperform for so long, mainly because gold and silver have chopped sideways for a few years. And inflation has taken a real big bite out of their profit margin. So again, if you know you think about a miner, you know gold is still at a level that it was trading approximately at give or take a hundred dollars, you know, two years ago, for instance. Um, but all of their costs because of inflation, paying their workers, their equipment, all these things have gone up, and that's really made it so the miners have struggled. Now, the positive thing for the, that is that, and if we can take a look at the GDX here. Um, if the GDX, and by the way, the GDX has a really bullish chart on it right now. This is, here's like an inverse 
cup and handle or, or, or bull flag here. But if gold really starts to take off, these will play catch up there. So when gold goes up dramatically, their profit margins swell because their, their costs are now fixed, right? Their equipment costs, their, their, so they're paying those costs regardless. So every dollar up in gold above a certain level is just pure profit, pure profit, pure profit. And so the miners, if gold breaks out above the all time highs is probably one of the main places to be. I'd love to follow up on your uh, explanation about GDX there and maybe contrast that, that with GDXJ. Um, what, what would be the reason to invest in one over the other? And do you see the same bullish upside potential in the GDXJ as well? Yeah, so GDXJ, which is the junior miners, right? It, you know, it, it's one of those where there's there's certain risks to it and there's certain positives. The positive is being a smaller company, a gold move or a new find of of you know metals in the earth can be a huge impactor. The the negative is they tend to not be as profitable or profitable at all. And because of interest rates being elevated, they have to borrow money, right? So that can make it harder for them to survive. So there's, you know, at least when you're doing the GDXJ, it's spread amongst a lot of, of these, these companies. So you're not taking individual risk. But anytime you deal with the miners, you have to factor in the additional risk that they're small companies, right? So, so just keep that in mind. Are we entering into a new market environment where your average investor has to be more nimble in other words, are the days of being able to buy and hold just dollar cost average into an index fund and ride the broad market up? You know, um, Howard Marks, who I talk about a lot because I've, I've really look up to him, but he he's spoken about this sea change that's happening where we've had ultra low interest rates for so long that borrowing money was essentially free. And he believes that was a huge contributor to the reason why the broad market just climbed up steadily. Are those days over? Obviously, interest rates have been risen at an unprecedented level. Um, is that kind of buy and hold 60-40 portfolio, dollar cost average into an index fund? Are those days over and are people going to have to start paying more attention to, to where they allocate their capital? Yeah, I, I I actually agree with that. I, I think that the days, it's basically what ended up happening is you know is zero interest rates created this this pent up uh, inflation bug and that it got out of the box. And once it gets out of the box, inflation is very, very hard to fully contain. You can bring it down and we've brought it back to three, three and a half percent from what we're seeing with CPI and PPI numbers, but it's going to be very hard to really get it back inside that box to the point where the Fed can lower interest rates back to two or one percent. I don't think those days are coming back for a really long time. And I've said that we're now in a new phase, and this is just the beginning of the new phase, where it's going to make it harder for the markets to make new all-time highs and to continue at such a velocity um, on that path. And just you know, something I love showing here is if we go to the SPX chart, what we can see is if we go to the monthly here, right? So this was your monthly chart prior, right? So going back to the early 1900s and so forth, and then look at the velocity right here in 09 when the Fed began to print money. Look at the velocity that the market, the vertical nature that the market did. You, you have to, when you have moves like that, it, it, you have to essentially digest that move. And digestion means that you generally have a harder time for a long period of time going up substantially. And so I actually think that we could be in what I would call a lost decade of gains in the market. It doesn't mean we're not going to you know, have little mini bull runs like we're having now in the stock market, but it just means that it's going to be very hard 
now that we don't have free money anymore, essentially, to get the same sort of returns that people have been accustomed to for long, long periods of time. And I, I, I agree. I think I think those days are over because if the Fed lowers interest rates back to, let's say, 1%, chances are inflation is not just going to go to 9% where it was, but you'll, the next one will be 15%, then 20%, and that it'll just kind of cascade from there. And you spoke about a recession, you know, a lot of people were expecting a recession to hit in 2023. Um, parts of the Eurozone technically in recession. When it comes to the US economy, um, what are the signs you're seeing there that lead you to believe that it will happen in 2024? And how bad could it be? I've heard everything from deflationary depression to stagflation to a great depression worse than than in the 30s. Um to, of course, a, a few people I speak to say that this time maybe is different and a soft landing is possible. So what is your view? How bad could it get? Um, and, and when do you expect a potential recession to hit? Yeah, so I, I think the data that we've been seeing more recently is telling us something. So jobless claims, for instance, we're starting to see that start to climb. And usually if you look at past periods like 2008 into 2009, the economic data started out strong, 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 and then it started to weaken. And then it fell off a cliff, right? So it seems like we're just at that point where we're starting to weaken. My guess is it's going to start to accelerate to the to the bad side, to the to the negative side for the economy over the next three months or so. And I think by March of 2024, we're pretty pretty much it's going to be consensus that we're into a recession. Now, the bigger question is how bad is it going to be? I'm not in the camp that we're in play for a depression yet. I think that you're more looking at this kind of dragging you know, recession that's, it's not like the horrible 2009 period where banks were collapsing. It's just going to be like, oh, this is just like going on forever. Because again, the Fed will be unable to to lower rates to a substantial amount to get us out of this scenario. So I think you're going to get in this kind of, you know, mucky market where we'll have a recession and it's just not going to end for a very, very long time. And part of that too is that when you have, so, so cycles in the market, right? The cycles in the market are very, it's almost like a human being, right? We have cycles as humans. We go to sleep, we wake up, there's months in the year, there's quarters, there's there's seasons, et cetera. There's lunar cycles. The market has natural cycles as well. The Federal Reserve has misjudged or essentially caused the cycles to go off of their natural course. We've been in this expansionary period now for such a long time that you eventually have to have this longer period of recession to kind of get us back to the normal levels that we were in. And I think that's what we're headed into. I do worry eventually, you know, right now you have the U.S. debt, right? The U.S. debt, 33.5, almost 34 trillion. That eventually is going to be added to, and that will down the line in late 20s probably create the more depression type scenario when that whole collapse, that whole situation collapses. But just going back to your one other question about little signs that we're seeing. So we talked about the economic data. We also have to mention that credit card debt knew all-time high. So you know what I'm seeing is consumers got used to spending a lot of money during COVID because they they were saving a lot and they don't want to change their spending habits. And so instead they they ran out of money. Now they're just charging it on credit cards. That's that's not sustainable. Then you look at delinquencies, right? Delinquencies in car loans and just in loans in general. We're hitting new multi-decade highs. In and those those factors. So the signs are coming that the recession is coming. It's just it certainly is taking a while for it to fully get here. And is 2024 the year that the Fed and the ECB 
start cutting rates. You know, the a huge amount of central banks actually are cutting rates around the world. I was speaking to Michael Pento recently and he was said, well that that doesn't really matter that much because the central banks that matter, the Fed, the ECB, and the Chinese central bank are not cutting rates. Um do you see them moving in that direction in 2024? And how would that impact the broad market? Because there's this view that if the Fed cuts rates, somehow it's off to the races for the for the broad market. But I believe that rate cuts by the Fed historically have preceded corrections in the market. So is that a misconception that's out there? That is a misconception, right? So so the rallies usually when the Fed pauses because everyone gets excited. And then when the Fed is forced to cut rates, they're only being forced to cut rates because they're in you know, essentially the market is in a dire strait, right? So people are like, holy cow, you know, thank goodness we're getting a rate hike, but things are really bad in the economy. And then the questions start to arise. Are they doing enough? Should they have cut 50 basis points instead of 25 and all these things? And that actually in history has shown us that the markets generally sell off during that period. The other thing too is the the question is going to be is where is inflation when they're forced to cut? So I think they'll cut by mid-year next year. But the question is, where is inflation? If inflation is still north of 3% and, and they start cutting, I think the market's going to worry that inflation is going to come back with a vengeance. And that's going to be another concern that the market and investors will have to deal with. And is 2024 a year where we're going to start to see more institutional investment in gold? Because 2022 and 2023, obviously, record levels of central bank gold buying. Um, do you expect that trend to continue? And do you expect more institutional uh, investors, hedge funds, pension funds, etc., to start allocating a greater percentage of their holdings to gold. I do, I do. I think that I think that the realization. So, number one, you just mentioned the key, right? Is is the central banks are the ones that are printing all the money, and if they're buying a ton of gold, it kind of should tell everyone, like, hey, you got to be in gold. And I think there's going to be this push, like we're seeing it already, is that the U.S. citizens are more and more fed up with the U.S. debt, and there's going to be a, a push for governments to start, you know, whether they go back to the gold standard or they just start to kind of be more wary on the on the printing side, or or maybe they go to a Bitcoin standard or some other crypto CBDC standard, there's going to be something that arises. And I do think that pushes more investment towards gold in general. And do you see a rotation out of overvalued tech stocks into the commodity space? This is um, a theory that's been presented out there that, you know, the Magnificent Seven is when they start showing weakness, eventually the trend is going to turn more towards real assets, such as the commodity space. Will we ever see commodities being at the center of discussion in mainstream investment media, for example. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my big case is that at some point when the economy starts to slip, companies like Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google, you know, NVIDIA, they will start to fall substantially. And and there's going to be a rotation. In fact, just this weekend, I was taking note of some statistics that show hedge funds are more leveraged, leveraged in, in the, the basically the top five to seven stocks than they have ever been historically. So, so much money is in there. And then if you look at the weightings in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100, those, the five top stocks, you know, minus you know, Meta, 
not in there and Tesla not in there, but the five top stocks now are are bigger weightings than they have ever been in the S and P five hundred and the Nasdaq. And that again is not healthy. There will be some sort of corrective move, and it probably coincides with the equity markets taking a big dump. My guess is the better recipient is going to be miners and and commodities overall as people run from those to kind of a safe a uh, uh, viewed as a safer asset, specifically gold, probably. Well, if I could ask you to pick one commodity for 2024 that you think is going to be the best performer, um, what would you say? Yeah, I, I would definitely have to go with gold. I think it's the pure play for kind of the the risks of fear, the risks of printing money, of inflation. You know, a lot of the other commodities like platinum, palladium, uh, silver, they have industrial components. So I would just be a little careful. By the way, silver historically performs generally better than gold, right? But it's it, there's the risk of a slowdown or a, or a recession in the economy that an investor has to take into account. So, so for me as an investor, I would rather take the lower risk, even if even if it may not perform, you know, say maybe you only get 10 or 20% out of gold, at least you don't have that risk. And I think that's really important. People people underestimate the risks of investing in, in certain metals when they just see the, the gains that I could get. And, and part of it is how much can I not lose too? Let's get your thoughts on Bitcoin as well, uh, where you see it headed. Obviously, we've seen somewhat of a rally recently. Um, and I'd like to pose the question to you, do you consider Bitcoin a commodity? Yeah, so so number one, I do consider it a commodity. I, I think that it is the digital gold, and I think it will continue to gain. Um, will it take a lot away? I think there's honestly there's plenty of room for Bitcoin and gold to exist in a in a world with you know how many billions of people at this point. So I think I think it's part of a, a well balanced portfolio at this stage. Um, but but I do think that there's a lot of risk right now. It's it's fully not grown into that digital gold. It's way too volatile at this point. Um, and I, but I do I do view it as a commodity now in terms of Bitcoin's price action, it's obviously rallied a lot based on the spot ETF speculation. My worry is that once that spot ETF is approved, you'll see this kind of huge spike initially, and then the news is over and people are like, oh, wait a minute, now it's still a risk asset. It's going to come down. So, so you know, I think people just have to be a little careful during these periods. Let it mature. Remember, it's a, it, compared to gold, it's like literally in its first second of life compared to as long as gold's been around. So, so you have to kind of let it digest itself, become a better asset. But then I do think down the line, it, it is part of a, a balanced, safer portfolio. And I'd like to end on this. You know, we're trying to provide actionable information to make people better investors in the commodities sector. I think this conversation has done just that. But I'd like to ask if there's any words of wisdom, whether that's mistakes you see people making that you think they could avoid um, or any insights you might be able to provide that someone could, could take away from this conversation and maybe apply to their own investments. Yeah, so so the things that I've learned, and I've I've traded for now twenty, I think twenty four years in in the markets, um, is is that initially when I was a beginner, I would swing for the fences. You know, I'd try to hit home runs, put all my money in this trade or that trade, and, and it might work once or twice, and then you get clobbered on the next try. So so the biggest thing is diversification. It really does build wealth a lot faster because you don't end up blowing up your account. Um, and then just kind of be aware. You know, think about. What is your thesis? Don't just go into something because everyone is yelling and screaming that it's the best thing. Think for yourself. Think logically. Look at the chart. Like if the chart's gone vertical, don't chase it. You know, it's going to seem like you're missing the boat, but I would almost guarantee always it comes back in at some point in the future and gives you a much better entry point than you would have had at that time. So, so patience, discipline, and, and again, just, just diversify. 
Well, Garrett, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Before I do let you go, for those who want to learn more, could you tell us about InTheMoneyStocks.com and VerifiedInvesting.com? Absolutely. So in the moneystocks.com, I've run it since 2007. I have a service called Verified Investing Alerts where I give out trade signals as well as daily videos, hardcore technical analysis. It's all data driven. So again, there's no emotion. It's what are the charts telling us? And that's really how I've been successful in my trading career. And then verifiedinvesting.com is there's education there. There's amazing education to learn how I trade, how I look at charts, as well as a, a crypto service where I give out crypto signals with daily videos as well. So lots of good information. And if I could go back and do it, I would say, find someone who, who is good at what they do and learn from them. Learning is, is key in this game because there's sharks in those waters. Absolutely. Well, I'll put a link in the description to both those sites for people who want to check them out. Thank you once again, Gareth, for coming on and sharing your knowledge with the audience. Thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure. Have a good one. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.